gentlemen, welcome back to these. Go to eleven once again. I'm your host Nathan Bell, sitting across from me, Greg Dutcher. <laughs> Audience, forgive us. We're uh, we're a little punchy before this thing even starts. I'm sorry. This charismatic has holy laughter. <laughs> People are like, "What is this? They canceled." Now we don't even get to the introduction of the podcast. Oh. We were laughing about uh, uh, Nathan. I need to let the listeners. Know. Yeah, please. We're, we're sitting in here. You know, we've had a lot of laughter. We had a night. We had some uh, subs, and we're just kicking it back. A whole bunch of topics. You know, the snows kept us a little cabin fever this week. And uh, finally, I yeah, I said, "Hey guys, you know, should we pray?" And I prayed. And Nathan, what? I prayed maybe what two minutes. Yeah. You know, and then we were done. Nathan's going over a couple or the order of the questions. And Matt goes, "Wait a minute, don't we need to pray?" <laughs> and I realized Matt did not know that I prayed. And then he goes, oh, right, right. You mentioned something about like how the snows kept us from seeing each other and it's good to be back. So clearly, Matt, as we talk about spiritual gifts, my prayer has a powerful <clears throat> Holy Spirit anointing. Because uh, <laughs> it, it was it, it left. It, it had something. <laughs> left an indelible impression on you, my friend. Wow. Oh, we're off to a great start, oh, boys. Oh, we are. This is going to be powerful. Yes. I almost made it through the opening, and then I, I see Matt laughing <laughs> in the corner of my eye. Uh, and I, I still almost made it. Then Greg started it. I know. I just lost it. It's, <laughs> like, it's like kids in church when somebody breaks wind. It's like there's no hope of recovering. So We uh, discipline for that in that yes, church. Yes. <laughs> we, we encourage it, uh, but we'll save that for another time. Uh, so we had to uh, we had to cancel Tuesday's podcast yeah. because we were – well, I should say the church was buried. All churches were yeah. buried under snow. We, we, we tried about three churches because we yep. had, of course, Matt's church down the road from us. Yep. We still met. Said can't do it, Dutcher. Plow has not come through. Yeah. Our church, Plow yeah. hadn't come through. Hey, Steve Hartland, man. He's not on this podcast, but his church is right down the road. He says, yep. Plow hasn't come through. Then how lame was it, dude, when we tried – the, the three of us tried yeah. a three-way phone call yep. to tape it. Awful. Yeah. Yeah, your audience should say thank you. Yes. That would have been not so yeah. good. Any sound quality issues we may occasionally have, I think we've come a long way, yeah. would pale in comparison to how lame that would have been. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep working on it. But right now, a three-way phone call tying into Nathan's MacBook, not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, not going to work. And we've talked about before, and we'll we'll bring this up more in the future. We're we're trying to get a mini studio set up in my home, so that way we can do calls and things like that, and it would be oh. a lot better. It, so. When are you guys offering the handkerchiefs that are anointed oh, yeah. for a, for a love gift? <laughs> you know, this is where I could help. The prayer towels. I could help you, you could. with that. You could, man. Holy, hankies. I found that very effective. But, yes, yeah, I'm just saying. Yes, I'm going to grab them next time. The first sign of a cold, man. Forget about the coldies and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm using uh, that. So we are back. We are uh, we have Matt Smith obviously joining us. We're we're talking about spiritual gifts, and we're going to get into those um, in just a moment. But Greg, I understand our favorite caller, yeah, has left us another message. Called again, and and again, I'm going to blame it on Dave Shive. I, I think it is. <clears throat> I think it's him. He he's the leak. Dave, we know you're the mole um, that is letting this uh, detractor of our podcast get privileged information about what we're discussing. There's no other way that he could know this. And uh, so that gets uh, this caller revved up, and uh, no pun intended because he is a reverend. Uh, but we have another call from the Reverend James King. Mm. And uh, let me see. I saved it right here on the answering machine. My Lord. These go to 11 answer machine, and uh, here we go. Uh, now I'm going to get right to it. And, of course, you by now know this is uh, Reverend James King. James King, King James Bible, believing, teaching, preaching ministries. Um calling in tonight because apparently the brain trust 
of the These Go To Eleven podcast can't take a divine hint, even when it comes like a boat of divine glory out of the heavens. Right a few nights ago, these fools tried to record one of their conversations, and the Lord sent a great blizzard. Now, you would think they would get the message, stop your debaucherous conversations. But no, see, the men that are acquainted with the unfruitful deeds of darkness continue to defy all that is holy and true. So they're at it again tonight. They've invited a pastor by the name of Matt Smith. Now, I've looked up a little bit about this man. <laughs> Let me tell you, you will recognize this man if you do a little time-elapsed photography through the years. His forehead is increasing at an alarm. <laughs> and as the hairs on the top of his head retreat to the back of his neck, the way demons will do when they see the Lord Jesus on the Day of Judgment and head straight to the lake of fire. Well, this man's going to try to confuse you with all kinds of fancy words like theological and biblical. Don't let him fool you. Tonight, the subject is speaking in tongues. You will hear these so-called Christian men ignore the only tongue that matters. And, of course, you know I'm talking about the King James Bible. That's right. The language of Elizabethan English that our Lord Jesus spoke himself, that the Apostle Paul wrote all of the New Testament in. They will ignore that, no doubt, to their own peril. Mm. He's got more, I can tell. Ah, it concerns me, friends. Uh, So many false versions, perversions of the Bible today. Let me read a passage from the book of 1 Kings, which illustrates the problem. There in 1 Kings, chapter 16, verse 11, it says that it came about when he became king, as soon as he sat on his throne, that he killed all the household of Basha, and he did not leave a single male. Male. That's the way the NAS, not a spiritual Bible, translates that verse. (laughs) Let me tell you the way the King James Bible translates that glorious truth. It says, and he left him, not one that pisseth against the wall. That's right, pisseth (laughs) against the wall. See, the King James Bible knows how to offend a reader. It won't simply say male when it could describe somebody that pisseth against the wall. Look it up. My friends, have you ever read Job 39, verse 9 in the the ESV, the Easily Satan's version of the Bible? Let me give you the the heresy it teaches. It says, is the wild ox willing to serve you? My friends, that doesn't say wild ox. Read it in the King James. Job 39, 9. Will the unicorn be willing to serve me or abide by that crib? You say, oh, come on. Reverend James King, you can't believe in unicorns. I sure do believe in unicorns. And we need Bible-believing Christians to stand up and defy the so-called logic of scientists that say they don't exist. You say, we've never found any bones of unicorns in the fossil record. Well, that's easy because Satan has come and gobbled them all up. (laughs) So liberal fools can go to their universities and teach these, these young Minds, these bowls of useless mush that there's no such thing as unicorns. Am I supposed to give up my belief in unicorns? Am I supposed to give up my belief that the earth is flat just because some pinko commie scientist, some jack astronaut has flown around the solar system and sent pictures for all I know of what could be a ball out of the Chuck E. Cheese vending machine? People, we need to stay true to the King James Bible. Don't be distracted. Do not be distracted by this argument on tongues while rejecting the mother tongue. More when I call in again to the godless anti-godcast. Wow, man. I mean, he was going at it today, Matt. I I don't know what he... 
he doesn't well, like he, you, man. He, he is right about the forehead. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was that he said? Like the hair on the you, top of your You know, there's a guy in, I believe it's Mall Cop 2, because that's a movie to see. Let yes. me tell you, I was watching that, uh, and my oldest daughter, Abby, there's a, an older gentleman guy who spikes his hair, and literally, like, the part, if you will, is back like at sixty percent of his scalp, yeah. Oh, and, and my 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 Abby said, "Dad, I hope that's not going to be you." So I guess <laughs> it was pretty bad. See, Matt, my hair has retreated evenly. You have the wide part, I as do. we've always said. I've got the runway right yep, down the yep, middle of yep. it. So, yeah, but apparently, Reverend James King thinks that we're missing the entire. We should be talking about the true tongue, the King James Bible. So maybe a future podcast, bro. Who knows? Well, I think that's uh, one of our future obscure Bible verse greeting cards right there. I think so, yeah. (laughs) And I hope we are not just having a podcast to talk about tongues because that would limit the scope of what Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit's doing in these days. We will be talking about more. We're going to be talking about the gift that divides churches, the gift of administration. Um, (laughs) Can you imagine if there was a church where that was the split? That's the We split because some people thought everybody got administration at the moment of salvation. Some people thought it was a second work. Um, that's the gift that many churches could use a little more of. <laughs> oh, yes, so, yes, I it. think we could. That could help revival break yes. out a little bit more. Yes, it could. Oh my word! Well, we want to uh, we want to save plenty of time and dive right in because we've used it well. <laughs> Let me tell you, we are stewarding every minute of your listener. Right now. We're, brother, we're I, I was going to say. Plus, it. if we don't, I'm I'm yeah. I'm going to lose it here. I know. So I know we got to get underway here. Uh, so. Um, Again, we're talking about spiritual gifts, and we're going to clarify um, what specifically we are referring to. And to do that, I'm going to let Greg start off. Um, So, Greg, I want you to go ahead and state your position, um, which you are taking the cessationist position. Right. Um, And so I want you to go ahead and clarify that for our audience. Yeah, first thing I'll say uh, very quickly, even before attempting to define it, uh, Matt and I were talking about this before it started, I would say I I lean – towards the cessationist position or i'm an open but cautious person but i'm a practical cessationist now Mm -hmm. hopefully that'll take on more light as we go um so i'm going to argue maybe even some things that i'm not fully convinced of i'll try to point that out as we go but just for the the sake of the clarity of the Mm -hmm. difference of conviction i thought i could uh, stick with that cessationism uh, i would define quite simply as the belief that the spectacular sign gifts uh, not all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Greek, it's the charismata, uh, you know, the, the gifts, plural. Uh, certainly, uh, they did not all cease because I believe every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, uh, as per 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what I would call the sign gifts, which I believe were in use to mark the authenticity of the <clears throat> apostolic message. In the first century, before a New Testament was complete, before there was a New Testament embodied, inscripturated source of authority, there were gifts in operation that were predominantly to attest to the authenticity. These are the real deals. These aren't false teacher, uh, are not false teachers. These are the guys that knew Jesus, that are the direct delegated messengers that Jesus passed the message on to. Um, those gifts, I would say, were uh, tongues, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, and perhaps, although I'm not as certain, healings. I know Matt, Matt's going to have a lot to say about healings as we get into that. Um, I want to say, and I think this needs to be said, 
I am not saying that God is in a box, that he cannot do anything he wishes to do uh, because I have a set theology. I'm saying I believe that a very fair and natural reading of Scripture is to understand those gifts were for a temporal purpose to authenticate the authority of the gospel message in the first century. Once that circle of apostles died, the New Testament is established. Those gifts are no longer in operation today. That would be my understanding of cessationism. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry, were you saying something? <laughs> Dave's off. Dude, was that, was that a tongue? Was that... No, I'm holding it yeah. in. <laughs> uh, all right, so Matt, you have um, what's considered the continue con- continuationism, right? Continuationism. That's what mm-hmm. we call it. To sound fancy, we don't, we don't like to call it charismatic anymore because <laughs> right. those who would want to distance themselves from a lot of kookiness. Sure, so that's right. been uh, yeah. I mean, in 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 a nutshell, it's just the belief. Uh, if I was going to be obnoxious to say it's just believing the Bible, but, <laughs> but that it would be a cheap shot. We won't do that. No, it's the belief that all spiritual gifts, including things that Greg mentioned, you know, healings and tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, those kinds of things, are are continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thus, the, thus the name. Um, so the only. For me personally, the only one that uh, I don't believe there are any apostles today, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I think uh, most most I think most continuationists would affirm that, or, or they would they might define it like a little a, mm-hmm. you know, sent mm-hmm. ones. Okay, I'm right. fine with sent ones, but there are no capital A apostles. Right. And if you find any in your church, you should run. <laughs> run. I, was say, quickly. Matt, I, I got an email from a guy who said he was an apostle. Yeah. So. Delete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cast out. <laughs> Take authority over <laughs> in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's good. So, um, so that I mean that that's it in a nutshell. Yep. All right. Go ahead, Greg. No, I'm okay. going to get too far ahead. I All want right. you to, to lead us, Nathan. So how important are these matters um, that we're discussing today? Greg, go ahead. What do you think? I think they are important, small I, since we're, we're – mm-hmm. uh, that might be an oxymoron. Uh, let me just illustrate it like this. I've said before in some other context, safe example, uh, I believe – in the plurality of eldership, when we talked yes. about that yep. last week, Nathan, yep. and I would even say the pl- the, the plurality of male eldership mm-hmm. as the proper, divinely sanctioned form of government mm-hmm. in the New Testament Church, I I believe that as much as I believe that God is triune, mm-hmm. uh, that he exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I said last week, I actually would even say I have an easier time proof texting. The first view, right? Um, although mm-hmm. the second view is true, but I believe them both. I believe them both. I would say equally, but I accord the Trinity far greater weight. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody, I'm at a conference somewhere, and somebody says, "Well, we practice Congregationalism. We're mm-hmm. a Baptist church. This is the way we do. It. Yeah, we do have leaders that function as elders, etc." I mean, I would maybe even if the guy wanted to engage, hey, talk to me about that. What what passages would you mm-hmm. go to? What would you say about First Timothy? What would you say about? Acts 20, blah, 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 and we would talk about these things. Uh, but it wouldn't. We'd never, Lord willing, break fellowship over it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's something that we can learn from each other. I think be humbled <clears throat> in the way we explain it to each other mm-hmm. and, and learn. Uh, the guy says, I deny the Trinity. Right. I have to legitimately question whether or not he's even in our camp right. um, if he's on the team. So I would, again, in our, to borrow last podcast, um, 
taxonomy, yeah. you know, uh, absolutes, convictions, and preferences. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say this is a conviction issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet, because it functions in the life of the church, mm-hmm. it's it's a, a higher end mm-hmm. um, issue. In other words, two guys get together to talk about their millennial position, and one dude says I'm a post mill, the other guy says, and you know, I'm an ah mill, or I'm mm-hmm. an historic pre mill, or something. Pretty much until one of those guys starts preaching through First Thess four Revelation. Not much of an issue. Right. Every Sunday, your sense of the role of gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to have a practical right. effect right. upon your congregating and the way you worship, right. etc. So that's what makes it a, a non-salvation issue, mm-hmm. one that we should not break ultimate fellowship over. Sure. Having said that, I do think these things allow for denominations. Mm-hmm. And, and I... I I know denominations can be bad, and mm-hmm. so why is the church so divided, etc.? I think if the church did a better job at expressing what we're united in, yeah. we partnered together on more projects, evangelistic outreaches, etc., we could also say, hey, internally we have some intramural debate mm-hmm. on best way to worship, best way to, right. to approach God. So I think um, if I was a dyed-in-the-wool continuationist, mm-hmm. um, I would probably have a difficult time worshiping in John MacArthur's church, mm-hmm. where I would say in his case, it's almost a signature distinction mm-hmm. of, hey, that we there's no openness to that here. Sure. Strange fire, charismatic chaos, all that kind of stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. my take is it's important. We should discuss it. But at, at our church, at Christ Fellowship, um, I would say this. The practicing charismatics are probably making some concessions Mm -hmm. because it is not part of our practice, although we do not preach against it. We do not say that you're wrong. We do not say that uh, you're you're out in left field somewhere. But I really respect the continuationists in our church that say, hey, I might prefer a little more of this, Mm -hmm. but I'm here because of the gospel, the centrality Mm -hmm. of it, and I can live with that. Uh, So that's – I've talked too much. So, Matt, you, you correct everything I said. No, I, I agree with everything. I, mean, I think First uh, Corinthians fifteen three for for you know Paul says for I delivered to you as of first importance yeah. what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures that's that's the gospel. Um, we have to be clear yeah. on that. That's that's we're united around the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. And because we are, then I think I, I go to to texts like uh, John seventeen where. In, in that high priestly prayer, Jesus prays, uh, you know, that, that we would be one mm-hmm. uh, so that the world might know that, that he was sent um, and that we might have love, uh, even as he's been loved. Um, and so to me, if, if we, as we have this conversation, I want a listening world to not say, see... They, they they can't even agree on their message. No, we right. we know what our message is. Absolutely, uh, Jesus is our message, and uh, we are united around that. Um, and we what we have in common is what joins us together. Uh, but it doesn't mean, as you said, and I think you said it well, Greg. That it doesn't mean that secondary things that are not the issue of first importance are not unimportant. Right. Mm-hmm. You know they are important, and we do need to discuss them. But I think we need to do it humbly. Right. And. Um, and and maybe I would just say sometimes I feel, and you know some of it I just think as we get passionate about things the we can the stereotypes the caricatures that we we give on both sides of the equation 
I think sometimes can be unhelpful in mm-hmm. having good conversation around the scriptures. Agree. You know, because we don't fully represent the other person's view well. Agree. Uh, or we find the most extreme case sure. that even that person would say, yeah, they're kooky. Yeah. Uh, so I think if we can do that and and have, I think in being humble, we can laugh and, and, and give some room and give some space to breathe a little bit in the discussion. I, I agree. I'm glad you said that, Matt. I uh, we, re- we seem to reference uh, John McCarthy here a lot and all my caveats out there have benefited tremendously Love John from McCarthy. his teaching. Love history. Johnny Mac. Johnny Mac. Donnie McCarthy. The expositor extraordinaire. Absolutely. Who, who really lit a fire and me, and I think you too, Matt, as younger men, when we thought, wow, people actually preached the Bible, uh, sentence by sentence, line by line. And, I have uh, every one of his commentaries. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I appreciate mean, it. Really, really great stuff. Uh, my my critique of his critique, uh, and it's not unique to me, I, many people have pointed out, his two, well, he's written three now because you've got the Strange Fire material, which I've not read, uh, I think came out of a conference, but in 77, he wrote a book called The Charismatics. Yes. I want to say like in 89 or 90, he wrote Charismatic Chaos. Chaos right. And then Strange Fire has been the most recent sort of attempt to address this issue. The, I read the first two books. Uh, I listened to the talks. Okay. Of, the Strange on Strange Fire. Fire. Yeah. yeah, I've heard some of like Tom Pennington's mm-hmm. on uh, arguments for cessationism, some of which I agree with, some of which I don't. We'll get into that. Yes. But he um, – or I'm sorry, uh, John MacArthur, the, the one criticism I have is – I talked to so many charismatics that said I agreed with him because uh-huh. the examples he gave were so extreme right. of sort of the Toronto blessing type stuff. I mean, yeah. people barking in church and making animal sounds and, and that sort of stuff. Now, I know like you, you only do that two or three times a year. We, we do barking once yeah. a month. It's, it's, yeah. Communion and barking. Yes. We find they go really nice together. Isn't that where head. the opening song is the Baja men who let the dogs out and you just kind of start with that? Well, we've, we've, we've changed. A Good. Bit. Yeah. You, we you used to do that. Times. We used that to was do more that. Yeah. late nineties. You're so nineties. I, yeah, I still but do. Love God's that. doing a new thing. He is. He is. Yep. <laughs> According to DC talk back yep. in the day. Back in 1990. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think he was doing a new thing. Um, but that was, I think a problem is that a lot of people said, okay, I mean, most people agree on the extreme stuff is goofy. Uh, many people I know that are practicing charismatics would say, of course, I, this stuff is ridiculous. Uh, and I do think Strange Fire, the little bit I've heard based on the talks, is they are zeroing in on the fact that, hey, a number of people that are Bible-loving Christians, theologically-minded, reformed in many cases, are very open, like Sam Storms, Wayne Grudem, um, Piper. John Piper, let's be honest, to the charismata as an ongoing 21st century spiritual activity. Yeah. You cannot dismiss these people as fringe. Uh, so I think the, the newer critique is a little more nuanced. Did you say D.A. Carson? I didn't. You but sure? Carson, yeah, is, is fairly open theologically. Yeah. Uh, Personality-wise, style-wise, preaching, it's hard to believe. But theologically, yes, he is. I think D.A. Carson's Pentecostal. Yeah. <laughs> he just hasn't come out yet. <laughs> We're waiting for him to do a little dance. Gospel Coalition, it's, it's oh, definitely going man. Pentecostal. Yeah, Last I, time I was there, I could sense the vibe. I am sure. <laughs> As the Gettys were leading. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the Gettys. Yes. Just FYI. Uh, yes, I know you do. I know you do. So, yeah, I think we, we've got a lot of agreement there. Well, and I think it's important too um, what you've zeroed in on, uh, particularly Greg at the beginning when you said it's the practical function of how these things look yeah. in the body, exactly. in that specific body. Um, and so I think that's important to keep in mind that different 
churches do have different styles um, of of worship and of the way they do things. Some are more liturgical, some are not. And so just keeping that in mind. Um, and I think you guys touched on um, those examples of people going uh, too far. But um, is there anything you guys wanted to clarify in that, um, some of those things? Um, we, we talked yeah. mainly about the the – charismatics going too far but greg what about sensation cessationists yeah going too far? um if they go too far i mean there it could be a theological way of going too far again if you start speaking authoritatively about what god always does it mm-hmm. makes me a little nervous yeah. because it's almost as if we've got the divine under the human microscope um he's a static entity we know exactly what he does mm-hmm. um I think that's foolish. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's the God of the unexpected. He's the God who can break into a situation in ways we could never expect. And and I think about this with Messianic uh, expectation in the first century. I mean, you've got people that studied the scriptures that knew the Bible backwards or the Old Testament backwards and forward, particularly the Pharisees. But uh, the notions about the Messiah were predominantly flawed. Mm-hmm. As we've noted before, the only people that got it right were demons mm-hmm. in Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. They always got it right. They were good theologians. Mm-hmm. You're the Holy One, the Son of God. We're terrified of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you. Send us into the pigs. We don't want to go to the abyss. They know he's got the power to consign them to eternal torment. Um, they get him right. But it's amazing how all the passages about the suffering servant, particularly Isaiah 53, but you know the, the other, Psalm 22, other passages that speak of his humility, etc., um, were missed. Mm. And so I, I tend to think of that when we talk about eschatology. Uh, I think of that, uh, okay, how many people were wrong about his first coming? Mm-hmm. I'm certain many of us are wrong, if not all of us to some degree, about the second coming. Right. So I think there can be an excessive arrogance. Yeah. I've seen in some cessationist camps that almost laugh at the thought of, oh, give me a break. The Bible's so clear on this. Some of the stuff I read uh, – now, I've got an article here. Uh, I think Matt and I both probably uh, refer to Gospel Coalition – Great little blurbs, about a page and a half each. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Storms, Why I Am a Continuationist. Mm-hmm. Tom Schreiner, who's been a guest on the show mm-hmm. and will be again in a couple of weeks. Why, I'm a, why I am – I'm sorry, Tom Schreiner, Why I'm a Cessationist. Cessationist and Sam, Sam Storm, a Continuationist. See, that was the gift of discernment. That was, see. Or uh, knowledge, I don't yes. know. <laughs> exactly. Knowledge discer- and that administration yeah. coming, coming to full, <laughs> full-fledged full maturity. Um, so I think that there, there can be a, a theological arrogance yeah. uh, that comes in the cessationist camp mm-hmm. to the point like, I don't know, when you're ever – when you ever kind of say, I know exactly what God could do, will do mm-hmm. because of my study of the Bible – makes me a little bit nervous yeah. because it does seem like I think what uh, C.S. Lewis once called what God, God on the dock yeah. when he is the one on trial and man is the one putting him there. I, th- I think that's a danger of cessationism. Yeah, let me, let me give you – I love this J.I. Packer quote. He says, There is nothing so spirit-quenching as to study the spirit's work without being willing to be touched, humbled, convicted, and changed mm. as you go along. And to me, if there's a danger, I mean, there's many dangers, but a significant one that comes to my mind is regardless of whether you were on the continuation side or the cessation side, for us to treat the third person in the Godhead as a doctrine. Right. You know, like or you to know, refer to him as it. Well, <laughs> well especially with Star Wars, yeah. may the force be with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, the scripture is very clear. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and so I think in having these discussions, um, yeah, I think, Greg, what you said, there needs to be a humility and uh, and I think and I and I and I see this in many of my um, you know people who hold to a cessationist viewpoint. I see their desire to encounter the active presence of God in their life, to walk in fellowship and mm-hmm. communion with God. And to me, there's a big difference between me saying I'm married, which I am, uh, I'm in covenant, which I am, versus. I'm married and I'm pursuing my wife. Yeah, and I I think the scripture, no matter how you come down, um, we should be actively wanting to be with our God. Yeah. and the Holy Spirit is the one who makes all that possible. Amen. He awakens us to the gospel. He shines the light on Christ. Mm-hmm. The spotlight's on Him, so that we worship Christ and we give glory to the Father. And so, to me, there should be a, a longing. And sometimes I get a little concerned in the theological discussions. About because you can have somebody passionately trying to defend a continuationist view, but is not um, they're 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 just as structured in how they do their quote unquote little charismatic practices right, as right. the as the person they would characterize on the on the cessationist side, sure. you know, yeah, stick in the mud, point. boring, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I just think we need to see God for who He is yeah. um, and freshly submit ourselves to his word and say, Lord, I want to encounter you in a very real way because you are alive. Yeah. Well said. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we've done in our previous fireside hot topic uh, discussions this month, we've established the commonality and it's very important to do that because I think once, once you establish commonality, you, you begin to notice that the differences um, they're, they're, they're major and they're there, but there, there is a lot of common ground, and, and that's where you build on is the common ground. Um, like we did last week, Greg, we started um, by discussing where we agree mm-hmm. men and women are equal yep. um, and then moved from there into where we think they're different. Yeah. Now we want to move into the differences. Yeah. Um, so, Greg, um, I would like you to give um, your two strongest arguments mm-hmm. or views against continuationism. Uh, number one is, uh, I don't believe in it. So I think <laughs> I would say that convinces most people when they hear that. Um, number two, I've never, good. yeah, I've never experienced <laughs> How about I just make it all about me Matt and just my concedes experience. on that point. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a prophetic uh, word, yes. <laughs> but I'm testing it. Yes. Um, I think, um, I will say a, one of the strongest arguments for the conviction Mm-hmm. that the spectacular sign gifts are not active today uh, comes from a passage like, I won't just consign it here, but 2 Corinthians twelve twelve, mm-hmm. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So you notice the signs, wonders, mighty works. I do not believe that that description uh, includes things like helps, administration, teaching. Uh, I think whenever you see the spectacular language of the signs, the mighty works, the wonders, these are things that um, quite frankly can't be explained in my vernacular by human talent. Uh, Some people might see a person operating with a great spiritual gift of administration and just think, yeah, that guy's got a great talent for administration. Well, he might, or he might be honestly uh, under the influence of the incredible power of the Holy Spirit working in him. 
But those things don't catch the attention of the outsider as spectacular yeah. signs. So I th- tend to think when the language is that confined, we have this idea of things that are to mark or signify a true apostle. Now, I'm going to steal, I think, one of Matt's objections ahead of time. Yeah, Probably on. cheating a little come bit. Come on. But, but I'll say it quickly. I would say in the preponderance of the biblical evidence, I don't limit it to simply the 11 apostles uh, then replaced, uh, you know, uh, Judas is replaced. Because that would destroy your whole it argument. It would destroy my argument. <laughs> I will, How uh, convenient. Uh, yeah, I, it, it does not. I would say this refers to the apostolic era, the apostolic mm-hmm. community, uh, which according to Ephesians 2 is the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. Yes. Then you've got the apostles, the prophets, that build that the, the early church needed an authoritative body mm-hmm. um, so that we could separate truth from error. So that when Paul is saying the signs that mark an apostle were done among you, these are not just amply practiced. In um, one of the places in Acts, is it Eutychus is the dude, one of my favorite mm-hmm, passages, mm-hmm. who falls out the window dead. Oh, I, that, I love that story. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Because Paul's preaching so long. Yep. He's going on to midnight, and the guy falls out the window and I dies. I really take a lot of encouragement from that person. I do too, brother. <laughs> I do too. And I want the church to be encouraged. Uh, I've only kept in here an hour longer, just waiting if we were in Acts. <laughs> Uh, so there he dies, and mm-hmm. Paul is the one who raises him from the dead. So I don't see these these miraculous gifts mm-hmm. in operation to such an extent that just any old Christian uh, can run down there and raise Eutychus from the dead. Right. That you've got the Apostle Paul, um, who is, as he calls himself, and one untimely born, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the oddball in the group. And, and I tend to think that the three years... Um, that the apostles had is actually the three years after Paul's conversion. I think he had continued special revelation from Jesus that in many ways matched the apostles' experience of being with Christ. Not all people believe that. That's my personal view. Um, So I would just say Paul is in that apostolic circle. Stephen, while not an apostle, as Matt said earlier, come on, Greg, the dude's a waiter. Um, (laughs) I think he's more than a waiter. I think he becomes the prototype of the office of deacons. In the church. They only chose seven. There's no evidence that that seven was ever repeated again. Hey, we need another seven, another seven. I think we have prototypical But not offices. an apostle. No, he was not an apostle. Okay. I agree. Okay. But I think he was in the apostolic circle, if that makes sense. I follow your, yeah. your argument. Doesn't make sense. That's debatable. But anyway. So, we're going to give you a chance for rebuttal now. Yes. yes. See, he's getting that rebuttal right now. That's right. So, I uh, think that that is um, what is happening there. Uh, I, I also say, now I'll admit, this is an argument from silence, which they say in debate classes you're not supposed to use. Um, I, I just don't see it. Even in the early New Testament, as the New Testament develops, I do not see the writers, um, other that we've got what? It's easy. Spiritual gifts are easy. Two twelves and two fours. Yeah. You got Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, First Corinthians 14. Uh, and you got 14 uh, as well. But it's sort of the list of gifts. Uh, Ephesians got, 4, 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what I said. Two twelves, yeah, two right, fours, right. Where, where the gifts are listed. Mm-hmm. So we have these, these things listed. Um, Corinthians, I think, is a unique section. I'm sure we're going to get to that. Yes, uh, we I think, will. I think there were <laughs> abuses taking place in the Corinthian mm-hmm. church, but I do not see in the general preponderance of the New Testament books an exhortation to experience these spectacular sign gifts. 
I see the argument from 1 Corinthians. Again, I think that was limited to a particular historical situation that I don't see repeated in the other New Testament books. So I think that is because their purpose had been well served, uh, that as the New Testament is coming to a, a close, we have the authoritative apostles' doctrine established. Keep in mind, too, what's the first thing said in Acts 2? Uh, the, is it 242? They devoted themselves. Yeah. Of course, we got the four right. things. Yep. First is to the apostles' doctrine, mm-hmm. the apostles' teaching. And I know, Matt, you're in agreement with that. That's Amen. the foundation. Yep. Have to get the apostles' doctrine because that's the direct teaching from Jesus himself. Yes. So when I find passages like Second Corinthians 12 that refer to these spectacular sign gifts that authenticate the apostles' position and the teaching that they represented, I, I don't see those gifts as necessary today. So that's. So can I problems. ask you, because I, I don't know if this is as popular as it used to be, yeah. so you would not use, because frankly you don't really have a whole lot, if any, scripture to use, so you wouldn't use 1 Corinthians 13 no. 10. about the, the, Thank the, the, you. the perfect. Okay, that's, co- no. You know, the verse, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to yeah. an Explain end. Explain that a little bit for the audience. Uh, the, there was an older view that viewed when the perfect comes yes. to fruition. Okay. That's, <laughs> which seems so... Because if, if you keep reading, verse twelve tells you right, what that is, right? Which, which is the return of Christ, it's the final day. Yeah, it's the which final I agree. Day. When Jesus comes, you don't need a word from me. I agree. <laughs> okay, so. I agree. Um, uh, the uh, there was an older view to your question, Nathan, that suggested, oh, the the perfect coming is the completion of the New Testament canon. Yeah. I don't think the Bible ever right. predicts okay. its own completion. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can find any evidence. Do you of that. hear that used anymore Not in much. the X? Okay. I don't even hear it used by the strange fire guys too much. Yeah, okay. Uh well, because, because it's ridiculous. It's, it's exegetically yeah. pretty ridiculous. Yeah, okay. To assume all of a sudden Paul's got this sense, I know that the New Testament canon is coming to a completion. And I do, I, I agree with you. I think in the context it's clearly the return of Christ. Which again you could say, and probably will Matt, so aren't these gifts going to continue until the return of Christ, including tongues, prophecy, etc. Yeah, to me that verse I would right. say yes. That's... And I would agree. I would say that is a uh, that is a harder verse for me to grapple with than for you to grapple with. Yeah. I, I, don't, grab, I don't grapple with <laughs> it at all. I just believe it. I believe it. You know, the old... I claim it and God, receive it. Was it. God said it. That settles said, it. I believe it. That's right. Um, anyway, yeah. Good question. So, Matt, we're going to give you time to um, tear down what Greg just said. <laughs> tear, tear down. No, we build up. Yes. Build each other up. I, I mean, I, I don't know. When I look at the Second Corinthians twelve twelve, and which says the signs of a true apostle, so the language is very clear. True apostle yep. were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. I, I hear your mm-hmm. you know perspective. Um, I'm just not sure. I, for me, it's hard for me to to use that. Um, I would use that verse to argue. Obviously. To to believe in the ongoing work of the Spirit uh, through spiritual gifts because you have non-apostles in the early church performing such signs. So I, I know you know you referenced Stephen in Acts six eight, mm-hmm. full of grace and power, was doing great and mighty signs among the people. Philip, I don't think Philip was an apostle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acts eight, um, uh, when you have uh, Peter preaching to the Gentiles in Acts ten verse forty six. 
Uh, it says, uh, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. None of those were apostles. Right. We know we know Peter was, but I the agree. people were not. And yep. so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, when Paul's praying in Acts 19 for those uh, who were kind of the baptism of John, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. It says, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, so these aren't definitely not apostles, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying they were not apostles. So you would say... You'd put all those, because they're lay people, yeah. even when Paul references, I love the verse in Galatians, I think it's in the third chapter, he talks about, and it, when he's really arguing for justification, but he uses this phrase of, he who works miracles among right. you, right? Yep. So, which kind of gives me the impression there's something going on in that local church, uh-huh. um, and to me, just that subtle language seems to be slipping in throughout local church every day, and again... I, I would be the first to say I don't think, even when, obviously when we and we've talked about this before, when we look at the book of Acts being spread out, and you start totaling up how many supernatural miracles, uh, were, they're not happening all the time. Right. So even 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 from a cessationist point of view, it's not like we just turn around and there's another miracle. There's another. There is an ordinary sense of the Christian life mm-hmm. uh, where we're, we're dependent upon the Spirit. So I don't know. To me, when I look at the um, you know that the Second Corinthians passage. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's just yep. harder for me to to make that, especially when you go, and you alluded to First Corinthians. Um, when I think about First Corinthians 12, and then then you get the the more nitty gritty of First Corinthians 14, where right. he's going to lay down some instruction, mm-hmm. uh, address. He's addressing abuses, mm-hmm. um, which I find interesting because he's telling a. a People that have really they got some issues. I want you to eagerly desire spiritual gifts more, right. or the spirituals, the 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 endowment of grace. I want you. To, I would probably counsel the complete opposite. Right. You right. guys can't handle it. Go back to helps. Right. right. You know, love just love each other. You know, but Paul doesn't seem to do that. Uh, in Thessalonians, he talks about testing. Don't despise prophecy, Agreed. which kind of yeah. means. I wonder if there was a, a an, an attitude even developing right. about how that was being done. The fact that he told them don't despise it, right? Uh, but test it, hold to what's good. So I don't know. When I look at that, it, to me, the cessationist view takes not just a couple verses; it takes chapters and says they're irrelevant, mm-hmm. or you have to totally redefine for for First Corinthians fourteen to mean something. Mm-hmm. I have to redefine what every gift means. Or I just spend time giving a history lesson about the good old days. Yeah, I understand that. I do. I disagree. But I, well, I understand. I yeah, but no. I, I but believe me, I understand why you would say it seems to kind of relegate First Corinthians fourteen to what? Well, why even have it? But to me, that's the same. How do I uh, explain this? Simple. In other words, Matt, I would put that in the same category. I think it's legitimate to preach on the Book of Leviticus today, although we would say that was for a time. It was. Uh, it. But I don't think we would say, in light of Jesus saying that all of these books are fulfilled in me, I think there is a way to preach Leviticus, even though it was historically specific, and it's not to be repeated in practice today. I think it's part of the living and active Word of God, Hebrews 4, that can divide us to our heart and should be preached. But when you preach Leviticus, you are the crescendo because of the unfolding of that glorious story yep. that God's doing is it's moving forward. So you preach Leviticus, and you, you, you're very clear about how. what do we do with some of these laws that don't seem to be applied to right. us and aren't. But to me, there's a beautiful crescendo. Yeah. Try to do a crescendo in 1 Corinthians 14 
I think I could do it. How would you do it? Well, I've not preached it before. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, how, how would you do that? Because that um, doesn't feel like a crescendo to me. That feels like you know what? Yeah. Um, we still have a we still have an incredible impossible mission, but it is possible because Jesus said he'll fulfill it in taking the gospel, seeing the edification of the mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. seeing sanctification happen in our lives. We don't need this. We don't need God's empowering presence expressed in these tangible ways because we have the scriptures. Well, the church in Corinth did have the scriptures. Obviously, mm-hmm. they didn't have the New Testament as we know it today. Right. But that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. I, I would say it's a huge deal that they don't yet have the completion of the New Testament canon. Uh, but I agree. I don't think that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 13. My point is, Matt, that there is a way to preach 1 Corinthians 14. Look at the historical significance of what was happening here, how tongues and prophecies and interpretation of tongues should have been regulated. They weren't. Because I think Paul's overarching point, I mean, what, what, I mean, what links 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is a chapter on love. So the, the preaching point, the, the homiletical punch of those three chapters is ultimately that in Christ we are brothers and sisters. Earlier in 1 Corinthians we've got the division in the church over personalities. I'm of Apollos. Uh, I'm of Paul. Um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, some say I'm of Christ, which I think are the spiritual elitists. You know, I'm, I'm what Jesus uh, wanted. You, you've got this whole divided church. So you could preach that passage Go into what tongues was for at that time. Go into what prophecy was for at that time if you had a cessationist view. Um, and you still hit the crescendo because what you see is a early church threatened because they're finding their unity or not finding their unity, I should say, in what they should, which is the gospel, which is Christ. So I, in other words, I don't think – I think you can take that passage and say it's here because we need to understand. Because in other words, Matt, by that argument, you, we shouldn't preach the Galatian heresy. Because there aren't really Judaizers today insisting on circumcision, we would take the transferable concept. Oh, right, but but what we are preaching when we preach Galatians, because I just finished that a little while ago, <laughs> is the gospel. Yeah, we are protecting the gospel. We're applying the gospel to our lives, and the issues, while they might be different, legalism is still a reality for mm-hmm. our lives. We're still loving our legalism, or we're or we're going the other way, saying it doesn't matter how we live. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do the 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 imperatives in First Corinthians fourteen? Eagerly desire, uh, pursue, uh, even more prophesy to me, so that and, it, and so the church would be built up. Mm-hmm. So you preach a Leviticus, you're dealing with a different covenant that it has a crescendo that's going to climax in this new covenant mm-hmm. that we go. Whew, that was amazing, and actually we see things in light of the New Covenant in the Old that we didn't see before, because mm-hmm. that's the way it works, that mystery is coming alive to yeah. us. But to me, the whole point of what Paul's arguing and what he's correcting in First Corinthians is, guys, this isn't building up the church when you come together. When yeah. you come together, there should be order. And so, yeah, the Holy Spirit's showing up, but you know what? We don't need to have everybody prophesying. Let's take a couple turns, and we don't need it to go on all day. Yeah. Take two or three and close her down. So to me, there seems to be, this is for the church, he's addressing the error that we're living in, because that whole letter is addressing issues of the church, corrections to the church. And so to me, when I look at today, there's a need for adjustment and correction when it comes to how we think about and practice spiritual gifts, which makes to me 1 Corinthians 14 really practical, not as a historical thing, but as something the church needs right here and right now. No, I hear that. I I think some of it, we, we might have a into the weeds debate on is every imperative in a New Testament epistle applicable 
as an immediate action imperative for the believer today? I would say I don't think so. Where would be other examples other than spiritual gifts that you might say, here's an example? Well, to to, to go back to the Galatians okay. thing, where uh, Paul urges them to not be circumcised, to not accept circumcision, we would say, okay, that's not the ongoing issue in the 21st century church, but the transferable principle is. Correct. Uh, so I think you could say the transferable principle in 1 Corinthians 14 is to pursue the proper use of spiritual gifts. Now, in the first century... Which AD, aren't many. Right, but I would say in the first century <laughs> A.D., the spiritual gifts okay. uh, included a few more that were, were being radically abused. And I uh-huh. think the point of the spectacular sign gifts, yeah. they're the most easy to abuse, um, I think. Uh, again, you don't see people dividing over the gift of administration and helps and, and these kind of I things. I don't know. Have you ever been in churches where they have all those committees? <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, true. They're not <laughs> getting it my way, my structure. You didn't use my model. You didn't yes. If, <laughs> I don't if, know. <laughs> if Moses were committed, the Israelites would still be in Egypt. That's right. Um, so I would say, no, I, I hear you. I think, um, but I think it's fine to, in other words, if you are persuaded on scriptural grounds that what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 14 was historically specific to that church at that time for their particular needs. I'm saying I think you can get there on legitimate biblical grounds. Obviously, this podcast illustrates we might differ on how to get there. Yeah. But I'm saying the principle is you could get much like the way people deal with the head coverings passages uh, elsewhere in yeah. First Corinthians. Um, most interpreters say, yeah, that there's something culturally specific. Hey, going Grace on. Community, we are rocking. <laughs> the- <laughs> Brother, you need to cover that. Head. I was going to say, that forehead is starting to show more and more. So I'm, I'm just saying, I understand your point. I'm just not so certain that you have to say because it's an imperative in First Corinthians 14 uh, to pursue this. Give that means for all time and all ways to. You know, that, but you don't just have it in First Corinthians. You have it in First Thessalonians, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know. Do in, not, in what sense? I'm trying to think. Let's well, be specific. It, what is it? chapter? Hold the phone here. Don't want to misquote the chapter and verse here. <laughs> See, Nathan, this is where we pause it. So that's right. it looks like we have quick scriptural yeah, recall. That's right. I don't have my recall is gone. <laughs> I never really had recall. What is it? First Thessalonians. I'm, I feel like it's like five, but I don't know. I, I don't have my Bible here. Um, do not despise prophecy. Right. Uh, hold fast. So we have a testing mm-hmm. taking place. To me, okay, that's another place that in a book that if I was preaching through, mm-hmm. I don't do that. I mean, most of right. that is, you know, so I don't know. The examples you're giving, like circumcision, yeah, there's obviously when you preach a passage, there's always a, what does this mean to the original hearers so right. that you set the context uh, before you move out to, to application? But to me, there's a meat and potatoes of either the central message is finding its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Christ. So there's the crescendo, and he's going to return one day. That's going to be incredible. So I'm never left with, a, well, that seems like a waste of space or uh-huh. a waste of a sermon. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it wasn't as inspiring as others, but to me, if, you, if it's preached right through the lens of Christ, it's glory. Where to me, you can't do that as well. Okay. Uh, and I think it's a fair point. I'm going to dwell on that. Um, Please do. Related, <laughs> related, Matthew, related yes. to this question. Yes. First Corinthians is an interesting book for several reasons. Mm-hmm. When Paul says in the beginning of First Corinthians, uh, that section I've always found the most almost oddly weird, baffling detail where he says, um, 
he he's remembering who he baptized, you know, in first Corinthians oh, yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yep, yep. And he he's thinking out loud. Yes. There are sections that I find difficult to preach because Paul says, and beyond that I can't remember if I baptized anyone. I love those sections. I do too, because I think what they show is the human yes. dynamic. But I'm saying it, it's historically specific in one sense. All you can say in terms of the original meaning is here Paul can't quite remember what uh who he baptized. Uh, and what you would do as a preacher is you would go theologize that a little bit, and I think rightly so, mm-hmm. and say, hey, we get a wonderful view here, by the way, into the nature of Scripture, that it's yeah. 100% written by man, 100% written by or the Holy Peter, Spirit. Or Peter's saying, yeah, Paul's letters are hard to understand. Right. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would just say, I, I just don't think we're, um, I mean, that gets us into a lot of things. I mean, you, you can get into how many Old Testament imperatives are still binding, uh, which gets us into a whole subject of the law. Sure. But I would just say, uh, my main point is, I think a cessationist can preach 1 Corinthians 14 from a standpoint that this is what you, this is what they were commanded, the spiritual principle still applies to us in this way. That's why I use the Galatians argument. Yeah, circumcision is not going to be our present tense threat. Other forms of legalism are. And it's the preacher's obligation, as John Stott said, to bridge the two worlds. Oh, yep. So I think there's a way to bridge for a cessationist. I'm just saying... First Corinthians 14, um, into the modern uh, world of the church. I understand what you're saying. You're sure. saying some of the punch is lost because you think the commands are right there for us to take right here, right it's now. It's like having a giant balloon and you just popped it and you go, but look, this is what you have. We should still pursue the more excellent mm-hmm. ways. It And Jesus is, is who we're focusing on. It doesn't... It, in the Old Testament, you, it doesn't to me. It doesn't feel that way right. because I, I start I, to me. It starts. I go back through the Old Testament scriptures, it was the Passover, whatever. And you start saying, "Oh my goodness, what God was doing! This is incredible." Right. I mean, he is he is he's giving such visual illustrations through these people that are going to just point to to what he's going to do. Right. Where I, that seems to be not quite, and I don't know. I don't see the New Testament functioning quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's especially, especially passages that are dealing with the edification of the church. Right, right. I I hear that. I think that's yeah. fair. So, um, so Matt, I think you you hit this as you kind of went into your um, rebuttal against Greg. Are there any kind of are there any more central arguments that you would like to put out um, to maybe defend your position more? Or do you think you covered them adequately? I mean the. To me, the, the broadest, you know, I think this would be just more of a summary, I think, is if if you gave me a Bible and you gave me just some basic hermeneutical principles so I don't go crazy with mm-hmm. it, left me alone, I don't think I could come to a cessationist Ooh, throwing it down! I don't think I could. Would you? Uh, would- I think I'd have to, I, I, you know... Um, be- because you have chapters devoted to, I mean, when I look at the church at Corinth, I could go in a lot of churches today and go, whoa, what do we have here? Mm-hmm. Looks like the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, I don't, I don't have to say, well, what do we do about that? I go, we're going to preach through First Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. That's what we're going to do about it. And and yeah, we're going to contextualize, but boy, this is going to, the Word of God is going to come to bear, and it's going to have a transforming effect, because I'm going to say, we're going to keep pursuing the Spirit, 
but we're going to pursue it in a way that honors the Holy Spirit uh, because we're not. This is this is right. this is this is chaos. Right. I think the cessationist view. Really, the only option I think you have is you either have to say those people are nuts, mm-hmm. they you know it's demonic, or you know, or they're just not holding to sound doctrine because if they knew better, mm-hmm. they wouldn't act silly like that. Mm-hmm. Sure, but it's but you don't go to First Corinthians. 12 and 13 and 14, well, you probably do, but you have to redefine everything. You have to say, see, there, prophecy means this. When I get up and preach, that's prophecy. You, you, you have to change everything. And I'm thinking, but that's not the way those words were defined mm-hmm. in the New Testament. So, boy, that seems like you're taking a lot of liberty. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I don't, I, you I know. Uh, well, if I could just jump yeah, in, and yeah. I would say, Matt, um, if you had a Bible, a few basic hermeneutical principles, would you come up with the Trinity? Because it took the church 300 years to get that. I would, Greg. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, charism- no, I'm-, I'm charismatic. The, the Lord would have given me a word. No. <laughs> I, I am saying yeah. that let, let's – it's a hard one. I don't know that I would be able to articulate the Trinity. And I think the fact that it took 300 years. Yeah. Ago, but not a single confessing evangelical is going to deny the Trinity. Uh, my, my thing is by the grace of God. The church got it right under the guidance of the Spirit. The truth was there all along. They didn't discover additional truth. Under they, the guidance of what? Who? Under the guidance of the oh. active Holy Spirit. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> We're in agreement go. on that. The Holy Spirit was moving. He was illuminating. Yes. He was pointing them to Scripture. I think through a lot of battles, through Arianism, Apollinarianism. I mean, there were so many yeah. heresies. Nestorianism. that They were just bombarded with uh, for centuries. Uh, with very capable, quote unquote, Bible teachers that were arguing their position, uh, you know, the the whole subordinationist view, um, you know, uh, th- th- there were so many positions that were articulated, and the church got it right, but they got it right over time. So I would not be surprised. I would say cessationism is not something that leaps off the pages to me, but it doesn't mean it's not there. So I would say that I think it is there. Um, or a good argument that it's there, uh, but it it requires some study. It requires Except some... one thing, and I, other than your Second Corinthians twelve text, yeah. which is debatable, but it's uh-huh, uh, sure. you know I, it's a sound argument. Sure. What other text do you have that would actually teach that? I understand silence. I understand biblical uh-huh. logic, uh-huh. but in terms of passages, because I would say the cessationist viewpoint has not just text. We got chapters, baby. Right. I would agree. Detailed chapters, I might add. Yeah. That that even actually get into methodology, not just. Yeah. So, yeah. what do you got to work with other than that? <laughs> you're, you're playing the. Uh, that, the, the that's card. that's yeah. what. So, I would agree yeah. with your comment about yeah. the Trinity. I'm sure I wouldn't come up with that, right. and I'm sure you know wouldn't be able to articulate things very sound. But I'm not sure I could craft the arguments both logically from silence. I think I would I might be confused uh, about how I define those things, but I'd be able to talk about, yeah, did you know when you pursue the Holy Spirit, you know, not everybody's gonna prophesy, but did you know that some might? Yeah. But Matt, is it a fair observation to go bird's eye view mm-hmm. and say, and this is a common cessationist position, but and I meant to mention this earlier, Nathan, so I'm glad this came up. I tend to think that there were over the thousands of years of biblical history very limited bands, very limited periods where the spectacular miraculous was uh, happening. Um, that's, that's what I tend to think. I think, for instance, the first time you really see it 
is in the book of Exodus. I'm not saying somebody could find the occasional miracle in this section sure. or that section. I mean the concentrated bands of miracles. Sure. Uh, the miracles that attended them, the 12 plagues or the 10 plagues on Egypt, of mm-hmm. course. The miracles of their wilderness wandering, the manna, the water from the rock, etc. Um, the spectacular gifts seem to be tied to significant moments of transition. And I think that's a fair observation. The other time you see them happening is under the ministry of the prophets, particularly the earlier prophets like mm-hmm. Elijah and Elisha, yep. where you've got this concentrated section of miraculous activity, the, the, the oil that continues, the axe head that floats, these things that accompany them. Uh, what's happening there? The establishment of Israel's monarchy uh, is, is a significant historical development in the history of redemption. I don't think you see them again, in my opinion, until what I would call the Jesus early church narrative. To you use Zuzu Street. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that's number five, brother. Um, so I, could resist. I, I see those miraculous concentrated bands happening again in the Gospels mm-hmm. and, and Acts. I think of Luke, you know, as a two volume writer of yep. early Christian origins, life of Jesus, early life of the church concentrated band of activity uh also demonic um uh activity as well which i think closely relates huge so you've got israel being formed as a nation coming out of egypt to the exodus israel's monarchy being established a king that was supposed to be after god's heart etc and the prophets bearing witness to that then you've got the arrival of the son of god into human history and the establishment of the early church I don't think you see the miraculous again, and this depends a little bit in full concentrated band activity till the end times saga, which obviously is, is a period of it. So I think that's – I'd be the first to say that does not prove cessationism. It gives me pause to look at the scripture systematically and say, what's going on here with gifts? I do not think um, that there were just – every period of Bible history, uh, you just had – the spectacular gifts leaping off the page. Correct. Uh, I think that God was working in the ordinary, the mundane. Yep. His providence was carrying on the plan of redemption throughout yep. history. And at particular times, you had bands of concentrated miraculous activity. So I see that not just in, in what we're talking about. I see that, I mean, I, I only see four over thousands of years of biblical history, which means they were long periods. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most obvious is the period between the Old and New Testament, say, which, got, which isn't even mentioned. Sure. And Hanukkah, if, if it mm-hmm. did happen, which right. I think it might have, mm-hmm. not sure, um, might be your one yeah. real deal kind of miracle. Uh, so I, I do think, again, the study of Scripture, the asking the question, wow, I'm looking at these periods. I look at 1 Corinthians, not just as 1 Corinthians, but in the context of that band of miraculous activity. So I'm not surprised to see there'd be a couple chapters devoted to how that's regulated. When I step out to the bird's eye view, I think, what's going on here? Uh, And is that necessarily happening today in 2016? Well, but, I mean, I think if I'm hearing you, yes, there there is a sovereign activity that God does, um, and we need to be very slow in how we interpret that. Uh Because, obviously... Romans one sixteen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. But we know, we can look through our church history, right. you might question, did the gospel lose its power? Because it doesn't seem, we don't right. see, it doesn't feel like a lot of people are getting saved. Right. The church is doing horrible. Uh-huh. Uh, I wouldn't say the gospel lost its power, mm-hmm. but it does seem like there are seasons where 
the spirit of God with the word of God breathes and like things blow up. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I think you see that throughout uh-huh. church history, you know, whether it's the Reformation and these, these movements that, that come out and, you know, God's doing something through yeah. his word. The Great Awakening. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, but I don't think that was accompanied by spectacular sign gifts. The Edwards, the, the the Puritan era, the sinners in the hands of an angry God, and New Haven, and, and those sermons. I, I well, think we could go. Had. We could go through. I, I read. Uh, it might have been Sam Storms or whatever, because uh, I think. What does he, he does know? A good job. <laughs> <laughs> more than you. Yeah, that's uh, more than me. But yes, he does. <laughs> that's know. why I'm on his team, though. Yes. Uh, I mean, he and I know this is debated. Um, we all love to use church history, and we take quotes, and we go, "Well, that quote cancels out that right, quote." Right. Um, but I did find it interesting, at least in his kind of presentation, um, just how he goes through the church fathers. And, and I think he does a fair job at saying, okay, often cessationists say, look, here's their position. But then he finds some quotes that say, but boy, their practice and disposition seems to be not of the cessationist viewpoint. I call it, my category is charismatic cessationists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, because I would argue Spurgeon and others. A lot of people have uh, I've heard, and if, if Dr. John MacArthur ever listens to this podcast, I'm sure he'll be calling. Don't worry, and, he and, doesn't, nor, okay. nor will he. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard him, and obviously we know his stance. Yeah. Um, but I've heard him share, when in I think it was in a Q&A, some of his experiences and stories. And, boy, I'd say, see, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and you are fully charismatic, my friend. Um, you wouldn't call it that. You'd share the same questions and concerns that I would have, uh, but that's what I'm referring to, and that's what I would see in the Scriptures. So it is a it is a supernatural working. It doesn't mean it's supernatural uh, like, uh, you know... It, 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 I think there's a such thing as ordinary supernatural. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's... It's uh, God. It's it's appointed of when God's spirit shows up, uh, but often it's in the unexpected, mundane seasons of life. Yes, um, I, I I didn't raise anybody from the dead, but 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 God providentially, through a word and impression, led to something that I knew. Wow, that wasn't my own doing. Yeah, yeah, that's supernatural. But I could tell you that, and you're not going to fall down and go, "God's in this place." I know. You know it. Nathan, I got a lot more questions. I get oh one more my. quick thing in, super quick. Yeah, super I, quick. I promise. Real this um, in, brother. The the apostles issue. I think the fact that the apostle term is used loosely mm-hmm. helps my cessationist argument. In other words, Hebrews calls Jesus an apostle. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think you've got some people that, are, and I, he believed in the gifts of the spirit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, very. That would be an interesting. Topic. Uh, Did Jesus speak in tongues? Jesus, I've, I've actually had a yeah. I read an article about yeah, that. Long conversation with somebody about that. I, I would simply say I think that the fact that the term is used loosely mm-hmm. uh, in Scripture speaks of an apostolic circle, an apostolic era, mm-hmm. and a a. A culture of apostolic authority is how I tend to but think of it. But by that argument, then it's still going on. No, because no. I, I think that that era was a unique era. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 2, built upon the foundation of the apostles. So you have little a, but the little a gets so tiny it just fizzles out. <laughs> is, that, is that right? I think it's a community <laughs> centered in the office okay. of the apostles. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So there's a big A at the center, right. and that is yeah. Peter, Paul, Matthew, there's an associated community where God was establishing the apostolic message of authority because 12 people sure. can't be everywhere at once. Right, so right. I think you've got them spread out. Yeah. I think you've got these happenings 
uh, that are spectacular and miraculous. So, that, sorry, yeah. Nathan. So, if and, I, again, if I was on the island, wouldn't come up with any of that. But anyway. <laughs> Just simple using the Bible. I don't yes. know. Yeah. We often get our big A's and little A's confused yes, on this uh, podcast. That's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. That's scary. Still <laughs> scary where we could go with that. Um, how are we doing on time, Nathan? Yeah, so uh, we're actually – we're over an hour, but no. I, oh I don't want to cut us off right now because I think there are some things that – we're missing. We haven't even uh, talked tongues. No, yet. we haven't. We we haven't talked tongues. We haven't talked healing. Um, so what we're going to do is um, very quickly. I'm going to direct some questions to Matt sure. specifically. Then I'm going to direct some questions to you specifically. Not necessarily the same ones. Yep. And then um, I have questions for the both of you. Sure. So Matt, my uh, my first question to you um, is if I can find it. <laughs> is there a difference between tongues of Acts 2 and those of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? If so, what? Oh so could you could you clarify that oh for us? My. Mm. Come on now. Uh, my short answer is I, I think there are. I think there is a difference. Uh, I think clearly Acts 2 are languages because it says they, they heard the praises of God in their own tongue, in their own language. So I think to, to make that anything less than that is just crazy. Um, when I go to 1 Corinthians 14, obviously um, I would argue that it doesn't seem to be that case. Um, I would also go to uh, Cornelius in Acts uh, 10.45. It says, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Was that, wow, we hear them speaking in tongues and extolling God, as in praising him, or is that an actual language? I don't know. To me, it's a question. It's the same thing I would say in Acts 19.6, when, when Paul lays hands, uh, and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. Was that, was that an actual language? I can't be real clear on that. I, I lean towards saying it. I don't think so. I think that's more of a First Corinthians fourteen, uh, because you, he, you know, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. Um, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Uh, so I, I, now I want, uh, I, in verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church is built up. Uh, he who prays in in a tongue does not. Uh, speak to man, but to God, and so they would be. You know, looking through First Corinthians fourteen, we could go through a number of verses. Would lead me to say, yeah, I don't think they're actually languages in the sense of, you know, hey, he's talking German or mm. French or you know whatever. Okay, so. Greg, going to you, um, same question, mm. and then I, I have a different follow up for you though. Do you sure. believe that those are two different tongues being spoken? To me, it's it, on a personal level. You know, I'm arguing a little more passionately than I even necessarily embrace tonight. Mm. Um, that one gives me a lot of pause. Matt and I've had talks about this. Mm -hmm. There does seem, okay, I'll say there does seem to be something strange in first Corinthians 14 in particular that doesn't quite match the acts to what I would consider, Mm -hmm. you know, lingua franca, the actual language of, of a Mm -hmm. people. Um, but I also find it strange, particularly Matt, if there is a change, like when you mentioned in acts 19 or even Cornelius, it seems strange that they would describe tongues in such detail. I'm just saying it seems strange. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Acts two, as actual human languages, you know, with alphabets and grammars, etc., and then get to later places in Acts where tongues are different, without any explanation of Luke saying, um, 
and it's the same term. I believe the term is glossolalia in, in Greek uh, for the, the speaking of different tongues. It seems very odd to me that such attention would be given to the role of tongues in Acts 2 as such a confirming, establishing sign. By the way, I don't want to spend much time on this. I think there could be an argument to uh, that that is a sign of Gentile inclusion, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the language of tongues. I think it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Uh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I think you, you've got to see that connection there. So I tend to think without the explanatory note where no biblical writer comes along and says, okay, by the way, now when I get to tongues in 14, I'm not talking about Acts 2 tongues. I'm talking about a prayer language. I'm going to use the same term that's been used to describe it. That's hard for me. But tongues in the scriptures always, um, you know, talking about praying in your spirit. Mm-hmm. So you have that. But in Acts 2, obviously there's something that needs to go public there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've often wondered the interpretation, which obviously Paul always pushes, sure. uh, if them hearing in their own tongues is God's sovereign way of saying, I want everybody to get the interpretation on this particular situation, mm-hmm. which is why Paul would stress interpretation for the for the building up of the body, except if it's just to edify you. Right. Um. Kind of the, the well, the follow up question I want to I want to um, give to Greg. What do you believe the purpose? And I, and I think you you did answer this, but it was it was in the longer mm-hmm. um, answer. What do you believe the purpose of tongues is? Because mm-hmm. clearly you believe tongues was a gift. Right. Um, what do you believe the purpose of that was? Yeah, uh, twofold. I think one, it, it's sort of a two sides of the same coin. Historically, mm-hmm. originally, I think it. It's a wonderful reference to the inclusion of the nations into the New Covenant, into the Gospel. I think there is an argument, uh, gets the passages in Isaiah, that it's also an indictment on the Jews. Mm -hmm. That basically, when you hear the Babylonians Mm -hmm. uh, bringing their tongue in your backyard, it means you're in trouble. So I I tend to think it's both ends. It's one of those kind of affirming for the church, and the Gentiles in particular be included. I also think it's an indictment against the Jews historically. I think that experience of that in, in 1 Corinthians 14 can still be true, and it builds up the church mm-hmm. because it speaks of the glorious inclusion. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, at Corinth, you've got, uh, uh, you've got a Jewish element there. You've got a synagogue in Corinth that mm-hmm. Paul preached in and Acts. Uh, you've got Gentiles there. So the speaking of tongues in that sense is a wonderful, mm-hmm. affirming truth to let the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians know God is doing a new thing, and we've mm-hmm. got his church building. So I, I think... I don't necessarily pit the edification of the church and the historical significance of Gentile inclusion mm-hmm. in the covenant against each other. I don't either. Okay, yeah. I don't either. We'd be in agreement there. Yeah, okay. Um, That's good. We're going to kind of move through tongue again. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're running Would you like time. me to speak in tongues right yeah. now? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That's right. Now, Nathan, I know we're going longer. Yeah. But the one thing that I don't want to let go, and it's not even, I think, in our assigned questions, yeah. uh, I will say this, because we were talking about one of the things that cessationists, pardon me, dodge, which I don't like. Mm-hmm. What about my brother who I've seen praying in tongues? I, I, I'm mm. going to get to okay. that in just a second. Right. Yes, I, I, that is on that is on uh, my checklist okay, to great. get to. Um, so, real quick, first, um, we're we're going to hit like the big three of yeah. the spectacular gifts. So, right. tongues, uh, prophecy. Mm, Matt, how would you define prophecy um, at that time? that it was going on and and even today how would you distinguish that between uh i'm assuming what greg would say today or the cessationists would say today just the regular preaching of god's word how would you 
My understanding is for in the New Testament times that the Greek word for prophet had a broad range of meanings. Mm-hmm. It, it literally could mean one who speaks on the basis of some external influence, which is pretty pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, when I look at the scriptures, um, I see the issue of prophecy being for the uh, mutual edification of the church. Um, it is not. It is submitted to. Somebody's on my phone. Sorry about that. Oh my! I don't know who that was. <laughs> I would say Spirit. the definition I give is prophecy is, is is kind of the human report of a revelation. Okay. Uh, I think Wayne Grudem says prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So it is not, and I would say this this is the way prophecy functions in the New Testament during the apostolic time period. Um, All of a sudden, that's important. Well, no, it, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, it's important <laughs> so that you don't think we're redefining prophecy. No, I'm just you. saying we're I'm just saying. doing it the way the, the boys did it back then. I'm uh, saying now you're bringing in the apostolic <laughs> well, I got you. Exactly. No. Um, so that would be my definition um, uh-huh. of, of how I would kind of see that gift. So clearly um, it is, we're not stoning people over this. This is not <laughs> Old Testament. Uh, so I do see the distinguish between um, you know, when Isaiah had a word, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, do you want right. me yeah. to take the same yeah. thing? Um, I, I like what Matt said. I think Grudem is, uh, is probably the most helpful continuationist writer, even if you don't agree with his position, mm-hmm. he's so clear in the way he articulates it. Yeah. And it's, it's very helpful. Uh, Grudem systematic theology, uh, you know, and, and are the miraculous gifts for today. It's it's really good stuff there. By the way, he has Parkinson's, right, Matt? I just read. Yes, I did read about just that. Anybody, yeah. Wayne Grudem, wonderful godly man to sure. to uh, to pray for. Yeah. Um, uh, prophecy to me, uh, this is actually an easier point for me to argue in my mind. Again, I don't see how prophecy would be distinct from Old Testament prophecy. Mm-hmm. So, an Old Testament prophecy. I think the word is binding and authoritative for the people of God. So much so that if it's false, it's to be stoned and condemned. My struggle, Matt, in a continuationist view of prophecy today is it's a little different. Mm -hmm. And Grudem talks about fallible prophecy, which to me is the hardest thing for me to get past. I don't quite get it. I mean, I understand that you almost need it to work. Because so the whole Acts twenty one thing, yes, Agabus, Agabus is prophecy yeah, about right. Paul going to Jerusalem, right. etc. I actually think you can argue that his prophecy wasn't wrong and that, that no flaws entered his prophecy, but that, that you get into well, wasn't it the, the Romans, not the Jews, bound Paul, so it wasn't quite. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back and look at Acts twenty one, but I, I think. If my memory serves me right, there's 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 a little bit of detail there that's not quite, and certainly it's not like Paul receives that prophetic word and goes, "Well, well, in light of that, I better not go." He says, "No, no the Spirit's says, compelling me to go." Well, so because he, he says, says, "I'm ready to die." Yeah. Now, I think it's possible that Agabus understands the his human understanding adds to the mm-hmm. prophecy mm-hmm. that he, you know, you could naturally say, "Well, he's going to die mm-hmm. when it when it gets taken." If he gets bound, that means he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he can get bound. I think does get bound and doesn't die. Because mm-hmm. we know, of course, he's going to die in Rome, not Jerusalem. But I'm just saying, in a general sense, I don't know. I think you're straining it too much to say you can have fallible prophecy today. I, I tend to think the distinction between the false prophet and the true prophet was this guy's words are true without error. This guy's words are false without error. So true that they could almost be on par with Scripture. Now, I know, Matt, as a modern-day continuationist, you don't think a person with a prophetic word those words should be written down and 
placed in the back of your Bible and treated as scripture. <laughs> uh, obviously, no, no, we've no, talked no. about yeah, that. I know, absolutely not. So, but I think you have to come up with almost another theological framework to say mm, it's special revelation from God that's not canonical and authoritative. Pipe, and I, John Piper I struggle says it, with that. John Piper says it this way about about the the Acts twenty one text. He says prophecies promoted and sustained by the Spirit and yet fallible and without absolute authority. The Spirit gave them a revelation of Paul's trouble in Jerusalem, and he stirred them up to deliver the message. But their perception and reflection and delivery have some of their own feelings and finite judgments in them, mm-hmm. and the message does not accord perfectly with the revelation. Paul will have trouble in Jerusalem, but he is still supposed to go. That's kind of how he I kinda... see that, but in Grudem's systematic theology, he seems to say that even the content, if I remember reading yes. it properly, can be flawed in areas. N- not, not the application, because I, I think you could be an Old Testament Jew and misapply a prophetic word from Isaiah. Well, remember, if you go back to my definition, prophecy is the human report of revelation. The revelation is right. right. It's the human reporting of it that is not always – or my I get an impression and I assume, oh my gosh, it must mean this. And what I'm doing is I'm interpreting it and I may not be interpreting it correctly. I see that, but I don't think the Old Testament writers use prophecy in that same term. Prophecy is treated as authoritative communication. Oh, yeah. What Isaiah speaks is what God speaks – what I'm saying is I don't know too many charismatics continuations yeah. today, and, and I agree with them yeah. that want to say that about a guy that says, hey, I've been moved, I've been praying about this, and I feel like I've got this word to share. And I think for that matter, it might be semantical because I believe that does happen. Mm-hmm. I do believe the Lord impresses things yeah, on yeah. people's minds, and they are supposed to share them. Sure. I just wouldn't call it prophecy. The prophecy, right. Yeah. So uh, – but then again, you got these, you know, Romans 12, we didn't, we didn't really go much there. Having yeah. the gifts that differ according to the grace given, given to us, let us – Use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Right. And so there, there you have another to another group of people exhorting, encouraging the prophetic gift mm-hmm. to. At, to me, it's the the local level. So, so you don't see prophecy in the New Testament as synonymous to preaching. I think I pray that I would preach prophetically, mm-hmm. uh, and I would use Spurgeon, who I know. Theologically, what would have been a cessationist? Sure. I've read certainly enough of Spurgeon to know that. But when I read his own stories that yeah. he's telling about some of the stuff he's doing, it's incredible. In while he's preaching, singling people out. Yeah. Point, now I don't know what you call that. I know what I call it. Uh, I know he would wouldn't call it. But to me, that would be that prophetic edge in preaching. So mm-hmm. it's the word of God that is making things happen. But as that preacher is submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit, I think that that gift can can come out in the preaching of God's Word. Yeah. Um, Greg, I want to give you a couple minutes, yeah. and then we're going to move on. So sure. go ahead. No, I, I think, again, this one, we're, it's hard to tell if it's semantical or not. I. Uh, it's funny, Matt. I want to preach prophetically. Most people I, tell me I preach pathetically. Do they, do <laughs> you stole my joke. Do they mean something different, Nathan? I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure. When I'm told I'm a pathetic preacher, I'm not sure that's what they mean. Um, Yeah, again, I just – I tend to think there may have been in the early first century church if prophecy is not synonymous with preaching, which I'm an agnostic agnostic on. I've read arguments Mm -hmm. on on both sides. If it's not synonymous with preaching, Mm -hmm. then I think it is the same as what Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel – these guys experience – and I think they were authoritatively uh, binding messages on Israel and should function the same way. I could see that happening in the early church, 
prior to the completion of a New Testament canon. Uh, I don't see room for what I would consider fallible prophecy. I, I just think that's a human category to deal with the difficulty that we recognize. So back to First Thessalonians 5. Why is he saying test it? And he's saying prophecy. Right. Don't despise it. So obviously there, there's those that would do that. Yeah. He says, but I don't want you to be an idiot either. Well, no, because there's uh, – I mean the same was said in the Old Testament. To mm-hmm. test the prophet. Mm-hmm. So I would just say it's, it's one of two things. If it's preaching, mm-hmm. preaching should be discerned the way the Bereans discerned it in, in Acts. Mm-hmm. If it's prophecy, meaning authoritative binding word that the person is claiming to speak, it's either false or true, mm-hmm. and it should be tested. So I, I would say I'm a little bit undecided on that. Okay. I just don't see a category of fallible prophecy where you can take the meat and throw out the bones. Mm-hmm. I understand it psychologically. I understand it pragmatically. I mm-hmm. just don't – I'm not persuaded that it's something we're supposed to see in Scripture. Okay. But I, I hear you. I think – I mean I'd much rather – I'm comforted when a guy says that because I'm like, you know, we might not agree, but I like that we agree that we've got to be careful to make sure Scripture – and this is what I love about the modern, I think, continuationist movement in most places – has an extremely high view of Scripture. So you would believe, and I bet – I'm assuming you've probably had your own experiences how the Lord subjectively – has led, spoken to you, directed you, given you something that you know this God did this. This was God. Um, you just wouldn't call that a spiritual gift. You would just call that a work of the Holy Spirit. Call it an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. A continuating presence. work of the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> just not a spectacular sign gift, okay. which was to All mark right. the apostolic authenticity of the message. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, last one healing. Oh, my. Um, I'm going to need some after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, in this one, Matt uh, is uh, is besties with Benny Hinn. It's number one on the speed Me and dial. Benny. Real quick. Yeah. Have mm. you guys seen the Benny Hinn YouTube? Um, Farting let the bodies. No, let the bodies. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a great. Also, have you seen the one of uh, – I think he's he's like a, a black preacher. I can't remember his name, but he's throwing the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, the power of the Holy Ghost. And he's throwing yeah. the Holy Ghost in the yeah. balcony and yeah. people are falling. That's an interesting one. Yeah. But yeah. That's the kind of stuff I would say, in all seriousness, when you read like MacArthur's two books on charismatics, he starts with those stories. Yeah. I think, come on, I don't know most charismatics that right. would say that's legit. Right. They would say that's theater and just right. TV and yeah. sensational. So you want to see a more nuanced critique. Yeah. So you can have more real dialogue. But right. anyway. Yeah. Um, so I want to start with you, Matt. Healing. Um, just throw your thoughts out there on, uh, again, as we're categorizing this particular spectacular spiritual gift, do you believe it still goes on today? Doma. Um, and just your thoughts on that. Well, I don't think there – I want to be real clear. I don't think there is the gift of healing, and I would say I don't think there ever has been mm-hmm. the gift of healing. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of the language is gifts of healings. Um, and so when I look at, uh, in the scriptures, or I look at um, Acts 19, we see God doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So mm-hmm. clearly that's pretty incredible what's happening there. But then we have Paul who has a friend whose father is sick with a fever in, in Acts 28, and uh, doesn't seem to be healing him. First yeah. uh, Timothy five twenty three. He tells Timothy, you know, I hear you got some stomach issues. Why don't you just drink a little wine? Uh, uh, Matt, that's grape juice in the grape juice. Oh, okay. Second <laughs> uh, Timothy four twenty. Again, he has a, a situation where he leaves a person ill. And I'm thinking, Paul, you're Paul. If you have the gift and you're the apostle, then just heal the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, uh, obviously, in Galatians 4, he talks about his own bodily ailments. I'm thinking, heal yourself if you've got the gift. That's what I would do. Obviously, you got 2 Corinthians 12, three times he's pleading, whatever yep. that thorn mm-hmm. is. That doesn't seem to be working. Yep. My grace is sufficient. So, to me, there are, there are the gifts of healings. They're diverse. They come in a variety of different ways. You obviously have the James 5 text mm-hmm. uh, for the elders and the connection of church and faith and how that works together. And so, I think we should believe and ask God for healing. I think that the atonement does provide healing, although we live between the already not yet, so yeah. we get little tastes of all that Jesus purchased, and we're going to get a new body out of it too, yep. but not yet. Mm-hmm. So it's not a name it and claim it. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I've prayed for healing for many people, and some have went home to be with the Lord. Yep. And you can say, well, the, the Lord did heal them. Well, that's not the way I was praying, no. but you know, he did, mm-hmm. I guess. Um but I've seen the Lord heal people. Sure. I've seen the Lord I miraculously heal. I'm not talking about a common cold, although we, I pray for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe in it, but mm-hmm. I am certainly not uh, buying into the word and faith, name it and claim mm-hmm. it. Um, but because of the blood of Jesus, I believe I can ask. And if it is his will, mm-hmm. just as it wasn't always obviously his will for Paul to heal, mm-hmm. uh, but yet Paul did heal. Yeah. So I, that to me is, again... I look at that and say, to me, I see the consistency mm-hmm. of how the Spirit works in the life of the church. Well said, Matt. I think we're going to have most agreement on this point. Oh, and that's then, no fun. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, um, because it sounds to me like you... Now, I, I have met some charismatics that believe there were people in the first century that had that were healers. Um but there's obvious problems with that. I just don't see it even in the New Testament. No, like Consistently enough to build either. that argument. And I, and I would think Paul... Of all, yep. would have been says, the man, I, but I, I don't know. I left my friend sick at Miletus. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had to leave him ill. Uh, Why right, do the, that, the Paul? Thorn, uh, <laughs> seems strange. And then you get into weird stuff where people say, well, the recipient of the healing didn't have the faith. You know, you, right. that addition yeah, well, of the word yeah, faith kind yeah. of nonsense. But the, um, the concept of healing, I, I would agree, Matt. I, I do think the James 5 passage, again, to link this to cessationism, Again, it's conjecture. I'm going to admit that. I would never build doctrine on it. It gives me pause. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got at that point the elders being brought in to Mm -hmm. pray for healing. Um, I might argue you could that, again, the apostolic uh, period was even then beginning to fade because you've got – you don't have Paul. Uh, you don't have Peter. Uh, you know, with the handkerchief. All you got left stuff. is the elders and yeah. the oil. <laughs> you got the elders and the oil, and they're praying. And then you get into These a are big sad, question. dark days. <laughs> what is the prayer of faith? We won't even touch that oh, tonight. That's a, what is I the prayer of faith that, that, that makes somebody well? Uh, but I will say, I, I, this is where my cessationist friends, and when I was in the PCA for years, I, I, I'm going to say this: I do not believe this is a prayer. Um, okay, brother so-and-so is sick. He's got a cancer. He's pancreatic cancer. He's very sick. Um, prognosis is a short time. Um, Lord, and if it be thy will, oh, yeah. we, we ask you to do your will. Yeah. I don't feel that is praying, and I think we're going to be in agreement on this. Yeah. Lisa and I, a few years ago, we, we did this in a, in a little setting. It's weird because Lisa's so reserved in these areas, but we did a little skit hmm. on this of, of a kid asking for the car keys from his father. And in uh, skit one, you got the dad sitting in his chair. Uh, and um, the, 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 
uh, phase one, the kid is brazen. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what, Dad? I know everything is th- that you have is what I have. I know that your car is my car. Your keys are my keys. And, Dad, I'm just going to walk over right now and take those keys and take the car out. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad doesn't give him the keys. Uh, scenario number two, Dad, I, I just wanted you to know, obviously, it would be wonderful to go out tonight and, and drive the car. It would be wonderful if I could do that. Um, uh, yeah, I know you are in charge, so you might give me the keys. You might not give me the keys. Uh, that's going to be entirely your sovereign decision as to what you choose to do with those keys. And I'm acknowledging that your will will dictate what occurs to me tonight. And he walks out mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't get the keys. And in each case, why didn't boy one, boy two get the keys? Because neither of them asked. One guy claimed it, that they were his. Mm-hmm. The other guy acknowledged that God could give him the keys, mm-hmm. but neither asked. And so the third scenario is the kid who comes in and says, Dad, I'm asking you if I can have those car keys. I really would love to use the car tonight. And I'm going to be honest with you. It, I'm hoping I can't. I'd probably be disappointed if I can't. But the attitude of acceptance of what the father decides the father might say, son, you asked me, take these keys. Mm-hmm. The father might say, son, you asked me. I have reasons I'm not going to give them to you. I think we are required to ask God for that thing that we want. Mm-hmm. I'm not embarrassed when my father-in-law was sick. Mm-hmm. And I had so many well-meaning people, good people, that seemed reluctant to pray for healing. And I got to the point where I said, I just want you to know, I am praying for physical healing of this man that I love. Mm-hmm. I'm begging God for it. Mm-hmm. He didn't choose to give it. And, and we accept that. Mm-hmm. That was his sovereign will. But I think God wanted us to ask. Yeah. And I get frustrated sometimes mm-hmm. when there's this, we don't really pray. We just state theology to God. Yeah. God, you're a sovereign and you're in charge. That's not prayer. Yeah. Prayer is asking with an attitude of submission to a sovereignty. And I think we can come hoping, expecting, joyfully anticipate that, that he may actually do this miraculous thing. And I think we, we we need to believe that God can do it. We need to not insist that God will do it. That's mm-hmm. where we cross the line. And I think it's important that we don't let the error of the word and faith camp make ro- us go the other way. Rob us I agree. of what we see all throughout the Gospels. Jesus saying, I haven't seen faith like that. I, and agree. All, I mean, I agree. There, the Lord loves when we are so childlike and we ask my kids have no problem asking me yeah exactly you know exactly because you're their father yeah there's a comfort level yeah. they know i have the ability to to obviously grant whatever they're asking and sometimes you do and i many times i do yeah. and sometimes i say no we're not going to do the candy right now right, right um and you're gonna have to trust me i'm not being mean um well maybe sometimes i am but you're not, <laughs> god's not mean um yeah but yeah it's we're not i think and i think a lot of times is i don't know if it's just fear lack of faith or we're just, but yeah, it's it's kind of like, can we actually trust? Like, what exactly are we asking God and believing God for? Let's let's look at His Word. Yeah. Yes, we're going to put it under the banner. If it be Thy will, we yeah. and in the end it will be, and we're gonna we're gonna give Him praise regardless yeah. whether He gives or takes away. Blessed be His name. But we're not at that moment. I agree. And so, this is a biblical thing that we can ask. We we have Scripture that says, yeah, ask. You should yeah. ask. We're gonna in this season until the Lord speaks otherwise and says, you know what, we're changing the prayer because, or the person we're praying for says, you know what, I really, I believe that I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord. I agree, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking you now to switch the prayer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, then if we have faith for that, we're going that direction now. I'm and there's so a glad place you said for that. that. I, a woman, <laughs> two years ago, 
pancreatic cancer, stage four. Um, it's only happened twice in my pastoral ministry in private, uh, not in this church. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's anyone, uh, cause did not want her children to know, asked me if I was comfortable praying mm. that the Lord would call her home. Yeah. She said, I just believe he wants me mm. home. And she said, she was so, I mean, it was mm. so faith building for me. Mm. She said so many times, so I can't believe any moment I'm going to see him. I mean, she was excited yeah. and it was wow. genuine. It wasn't wow. for show. Yeah. And she was just tired. And I'll tell you, it was one of the few, it was an incredible moment. Mm. I prayed with her that God would, would call her home. Mm. She died that evening. Wow. And it was a, a very stirring moment for me. Yeah. I bet. And you know, I, I trusted in her relationship with the Lord. This is what she wanted. Same thing. If God had left her another six months, mm-hmm. we still are about to praise him because he has decided to do something, right, right. but we should ask. Mm-hmm. And so I think on that one, Matt, yeah, a- amen. I, I think if the, if the continuationist movement, uh, charismatic movement has one thing to teach my kind of former background, PCA, mm-hmm. theology, neat and tidy, very good, very sturdy, might be this sense of expectancy. Yeah. So we are going to wrap up. I know yeah. I said that like a half hour ago. Yeah, but it's just there, like the preacher. Four that's conclusions. Right. That's right. <laughs> there are two things um, that I want to hit first. Um, and these um, aren't on any of the the questions or anything like that. These mm-hmm. are these are things that um, I kind of thought of. The first, both, this is to both of you. What would you say to the person who says the gifts have changed? Um, as, as we know them. So I look at someone like Ben Carson and the man is an amazing, for lack of a better word, healer. But obviously, like you said, mm-hmm. Matt and Greg, uh, there isn't necessarily a gift of healing, but he seems to be someone who God has just blessed him with a great mind to be able mm-hmm. to understand sure. um, what, what we can understand today in science and medicine. And so God has just blessed him with that. Um, someone who just has an amazing ability to to learn and understand languages. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to to something like that? Hmm. I mean, I would say uh, it's a different issue. I, I think I think God has called a man like a Ben Carson or the, these people that whose hearts belong to Him, which which I believe everything I've heard of Ben Carson is, is true. Um, that He's called him to a sphere of gospel related ministry that is in the physical restoring of bodies. Um, I I would distinguish that. I wouldn't say the gift has changed. Mm -hmm. I would say healing is healing. Um, And I, it's, that's a hard one. I don't know. Even as I say it, I'm like, well, he definitely is in the healing business. Um, And it, we Matt and I both have a mutual friend whose daughter had spina bifida, who Ben Carson operated on Mm. to Tim and Donna when, when, when their baby was two days old. Mm put a brain shunt in and they they describe that experience as in awe of his brilliance in awe of his skill yeah what you do with a baby this fragile this close to some very serious consequences um but i would still in my mind distinguish that as something a bit different mm-hmm. i don't know what about you well you know the tricky thing is because it, it kind of ties into the when i hear you say that almost the the maybe a, a broader question is there a difference between spiritual gifts and Talents, uh, abilities. Agreed, agreed. Abilities, I mean, talents. Yeah. Wayne Grudem defines... Now, Wayne Grudem defines a spiritual gift pretty broadly. He says a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit yes. and used in any ministry of the church. That's pretty broad. It is. Um, and so, you know, could that be... You know, I don't know. I, 
that's a good question, but to me, it kind of falls into that category. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, lastly, to finish up, Greg, this is where you were going to. What do you do with someone? Uh, you have your best friend, Matt, here, led you to Christ, friends all these years, um, has been on the podcast several times, speaks in tongues. Oh. <laughs> You're a c- cessationist. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you put that into perspective with your view or the view that you're taking yeah good question nathan because I, I i'm praying uh, for my friend yeah <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to mention this at the outset uh i told you guys before we we recorded and i got a call from a, a christian friend uh who said that he and his wife their initial look on our promo on facebook mm-hmm. where we had the two pictures uh, uh you know the 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 Dosecki's guy the office space balls uh their initial read was it was denigrating people that speak in tongues mm-hmm. That bothered me because I could tell that was hurtful to them. That was not obviously our intention. Right. Uh, it was really just in a fun way to promote the debate, the discussion, and that you know I hope has been made clear tonight by our lengthy podcast. Uh, our listeners have really hung in on. I hope it's a charismatic um, podcast. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a charismatic or uh, African American church service. Yeah. Uh, we got a long thing going on here. Um, yeah, that's a good one, and I don't want to dodge it. Um, I, I, you know, obviously, don't want to judge. Me. I don't think it's demonic. Mm-hmm. Really, don't. I mean, obviously, in Matt's case, all jokes out. I've known he led me to Christ. I know his heart for God, his heart for his family, um, is as genuine as they come. Uh, God's using him over at Grace uh, to preach and teach and build up the church and advance the church for the gospel. So, no, my friend, I don't believe is experiencing something demonic. My best guess, since I can't be inside the heart and mind, I'm going to borrow Tom Schreiner, who's borrowing J.I. Packer, that calls it something like psychological relaxation. That's a guess. In other words... I need some of that, yeah. too. <laughs> if, if, if there is a sense that as they're praying, uh, you know, they are communicating with the Lord, communing with him in a special way, boy, this is a hard one to talk about. I'm glad you asked, Nathan, because I don't want to dodge it. That Matt, I'll throw out, I've wondered, is it possible, in, mm-hmm. in my mind, mm-hmm. where I, I'm not going to be there theologically, that you've got your theological grid affecting you in a very intimate moment where there is some almost therapeutic mm-hmm. uh, vocalization, for lack of a better word, of your enjoyment of the Lord, your intimacy with the Lord, your presence, that maybe is learned over time but it's genuinely thought of as a divine experience. Mm-hmm. That's what I would guess. I feel weird saying it. And so, Matt, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. throw... Matt would say, thank you, Greg. Uh, <laughs> thank you for diagnosing I'm feeling my... Ve- I'm feeling very relaxed. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, for you, communicating yeah. and talking to people who are cessationists, particularly good friend, best friend, Greg, mm-hmm. how do you view his position because clearly clearly for both of you you're not going to view the other one as a heretic in in what they believe right um, but there is also a clear difference in the way scripture is yeah. being interpreted yeah. so yeah. matt how would you throw that in there i'm praying that greg would not interpret scripture but he would let, <laughs> he would let scripture oh. interpret him oh come on man <laughs> Preach. Um, well yeah i mean I, I this might sound weird, but I do think um, I think many times Christians live better than they articulate their beliefs. I know that's been true in my life. Um, 
meaning I have prayed with many people who would not share my reformed soteriology. I'm a five-point Calvinist guy, uh, not because of Calvin, but because it's what I see in Scripture. Um, but when I listen to them pray, and I've often teased them, I'll say, you know, you've prayed, Lord, I'm praying that you would just save this person. I'm saying, you can't pray that. You can't, because you, that would make God in control of that, you know, and they're like, wait a minute. So, I don't know, I think where, there's, where there are differences in those things, I have often seen uh, from, from people who would be more in the cessationist camp that when I listen to their communion, their sensitivity, their walk with, with the Lord, um, I just often see they're more charismatic than they're willing to acknowledge. They just wouldn't mm-hmm. call it certain things. And so I'm looking at that level while we discuss the nuances, which is very important, obviously. Um, so I think Gregory Eugene Dutcher is more charismatic than he wants to admit. Oh, my soul. <laughs> and I'm praying that his tongue would be loosed. <laughs> Everybody else is praying that it would be that's, right. well, that's, that's true. <laughs> Second thought. Lisa has never prayed that prayer. That's um, true. You, you, you know what? You just teach you Jake's man. You need some, you need some, yeah. Tongue thou it. art loose. <laughs> that's true. Your tongue's pretty loose. Yes, yes. Maybe you need a little, you know, maybe you need a little more therapy. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I know exactly what you're saying. I'm just doing what Paul tells me. I'm building up my spirit. Amen. My spirit man. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Amen. So, guys, we are um, this. I think, Six hours is, over. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the longest podcast we've ever done yeah. to date. Well, so. it's a huge topic. It is. It was great yep. to talk about it, in all seriousness. And we wanted to uh, we wanted to make it up to our listeners for having to... Two days late. That's right. So you've got more than enough to keep you company for a while. Yep. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Guys, we just rocked the Casbah. Azusa Street style. Shit about a Honda. These go to 11.